Facendo sto bello pagando, all'insieme è splashibo, non si sciutta difensa. Difensa, sciutta difensa, sciutta difensa, sciutta difensa, sciutta Listen to Shoot the Defense. It's unbelievable, Jeff. I'll find my song and I won't stop this Hello and welcome to Shoot the Defence. I'm your host, Stel, and joining me is former Tramir Rovers, Nottingham Forest, Leicester and England under-21 defender Alan Rogers. Alan, welcome to Shoot the Defence. It's great to have you on. How's it going? It's going quite well. Uh, thanks, mate. I've um, literally just uh, been appointed Sligo Rovers assistant manager tonight. So, I'm, oh, uh, Congratulations. Yes, I'm flying over to Ireland tomorrow to take up that role with uh, Mickey Adams as the manager. Wonderful. Excellent. So are you actually going to be moving out there or...? Well, yeah, I mean, we've, we've agreed to take over till the end of the season. It's got about 12, three months, 12 weeks left of the season, so I'll be uh, based over there, yeah. Fantastic. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, look, you, you made your Tramir Rovers debut as a teenager when Ian Nolan picked up an injury at Luton. Um, can you take us back before you signed for Rovers and how you were discovered, so to speak? Um, I was actually I was, I was a young kid at, uh, playing for Liverpool's academy. Okay. I'm <laughs> bit of a stranger to be honest with you because um, they didn't allow you to play for your Sunday League team and I still, you know, as a young kid and I still wanted to play football and I broke my arm playing for the Sunday League team. Okay. And it didn't go down too well with Steve Iway, so um, we departed ways and I went and signed a white chest for Tramia. So, I'll take it was John King that gave you your, your first taste of action. Now, John is yeah. somewhat of a club legend, I believe. Now, you must have felt extremely proud to have had so much faith put in you. Yeah, I mean, I was only, I think it was only about 17 years of age, and, right. you know, Tommy, um, they were actually, a, you know, we were a, a strong team in the championship as it is now, uh, back then, um, and yeah, you know, we was, a, everyone was terrified of Johnny King, you know, <laughs> when he got called into his office, I was absolutely terrified, but, you know, the long walk down to his office, he said, you're travelling on uh, Saturday to Luton, uh, you're not involved, but you're going to travel. So we get down to Luton and he puts me on the bench and put me on for the last half an hour. So, yeah, it was fantastic. Well, two years into your professional career, Dave Bassett took you to the city ground in a £2 million deal. Now, yeah. to me, Forrest epitomised the term sleeping giant. I mean, they've got won two European Cups. Uh, they're the first club to spend a million pounds on a the player. They've got a big fan base. The club's yeah. sleeping in history. How would you describe the size of the club and what was it like to be seen as Stuart Pearce's successor? Yeah, it was brilliant, you know, and uh, the, the big part for me as well, you know, was uh, Stuart Pearce kind of selected me to be his successor, which was, you know, it's a proud thing in itself. Um, as a young left-back, Stuart Pearce was, um, you know, he was, a, he was an idol of mine and, uh, you know, we didn't disappoint when I met him. You know, he helped me settle into Forest and um, Forest is an unbelievable club, you know. Um, you, you, I don't think people just don't really realise how big it is. The city's an amazing place to live. The fans are unbelievable. Uh, I had a really good, successful time there. You know, we won the league in the first season. They got promoted back in the Premier League, but it's it's an unbelievable club, and you know, sleeping giants an understatement. It really is. You know, I'd love to see it get back into the Premier League where it belongs. Well, as you mentioned, they they gained promotion in your first season at the club, so 
in the space of three years, you, you went from playing reserve team football at Tranmere to mixing up in the best league in the world. Yeah. Must have been a bit surreal, no? Yeah, it was. I mean, you know, I've always had faith in my ability. You know, I, when I was in the Tranmere, you know, I was playing in the Tranmere reserve at 16. Um, and as I say, Tranmere, you know, Tranmere were a good club. They're still a good club, Tranmere, don't get me wrong. But, you know, it's sad to see where they are now. But, you know, they were a championship club then. And, you know, pushing for playoffs as well. So, you know, it, 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 yeah, it was, a, it was a big step. But, you know, it was something that I was confident to take. And, you know, it was a great time to Tranmere as well. Well, that was a pretty special Forest side that went up from the championship. But did, did you feel the worst when the likes of Kevin Campbell and Colin Cooper were sold before the season started? Yeah, I mean, it, I still maintain that. If, you know, if the ball to the back day Bassett, um, and sign played instead of selling. You know, we, we sold our spine of the team. You know, we sold Colin Cooper, who was the uh, the, he was the club captain. Uh, you know, he was a rock at the back. He was brilliant for me as a young lad as well. You know, but he was only eighteen, nineteen, and he'd talk, he'd help you through games. And big Kev Campbell, you know, was a big powerful centre forward. You know, we got we we should have added instead of. I, I feel if we'd have kept them two and added two or three more quality players, it'd be for us to be a different club now. Well, it, it just seemed that by March, the club were all but down, really. Um, I think Dave Bassett was replaced by Ron Atkinson we both through the season, if I'm right. Yeah, he was, yeah. Um, and then I think Steve Stone and Scott Gemmell also left. But aside from Man United doing the trouble that season, there was another major talking point, and that was uh, Van Hooydonk going on strike. Yeah. Um, now, uh, as far as I know, Van Hooydonk refused to play because the club failed, in his eyes, to, to strengthen the squad. And you said that they, they maybe could have brought in three or four more players. Yeah. Um, I remember you saying in a previous interview that the squad had a great sense of camaraderie under Dave Bassett. So, yeah, what was the atmosphere like at the time when Van Hooydonk went AWOL? And can you say who decided not to celebrate any goals with the Dutchman? No one spoke to him. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we were all disappointed that um, we were losing our best players. But that doesn't give any player the right just to decide to throw the toes at the time and go and strike. Far from it. You know, if anything, you, you, know, you rally around and dig, dig that little bit hard, you know, to, you know, you've got fan thirty thousand fans who come to watch us every home game. You know, if we all just decided to spit our dummy out, you know, what would football have been the sorry state of affairs? You know, Pierre's still getting paid his wages. He just, you should have come in, done what all of us done, got our head down, you know, and got on with it. We were all gutted that the, you know, the, the club was selling players and the buying players, but you know, it's still a massive club. You just get on with it. You don't, you can't just go and strike. So, uh, when he did come back, I mean, there was that goal against Derby County, which, you know, as you know, it's a, it's a big Derby game between the two yeah. sides. And for him to score and, and everyone to run to, I believe it was Scott Gemmell, actually, uh, who created the goal. Um, was it a continual thing with Van, Van Hooydonk at the end of the season? Um, I think he no w- one spoke to him. No, nothing he, at all. He was literally, he just used to come in, used to get changed, train and go. No one spoke to him, you know, as I say. We all felt let down, you know, by, by his actions. The rest of us were rallying around and fighting. We knew it was it was difficult, you know, the position we were in was difficult. But you know, to do what he done was inexcusable. And did he actually apologise at any point, or did we just leave the club and that was it? No, he didn't. No, he never. He said, I think I think I read somewhere about six months ago somewhere that he said. In fact, it wasn't that I read somewhere over the Ryan Sterling and he was saying, you know, when Sterling was not going in, and I read a quote from him saying, you know, we regret to do what he done at Forest, but. 20 years too late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Atkinson didn't last long at Forest and then David yeah. Platt came in as a manager with, I assume, an Italian mentality. Yeah. Um, 
he was only there for a couple of years before Paul Hart came in, and that's when you suffered the cruciate injury. It was that for about five months, I believe? Yeah, no, I've, I've done my cruciate, cruciate ligaments. Um, I mean, I've, I've done a fan, I've done a, uh, an after dinner thing, and I think the week, and a few fans were quite surprised. Um, Platt, he was, I didn't get on with David Platt when he first came. Oh. And then I started thinking, you know, the stuff that he was doing in training, and I didn't think I was fit. David Platt was 10 years ahead of the game. He was doing what, what they're doing now in the sports science okay. and the nutrition and the food and the diet and he was doing all of that back then and we were like it, it was no one no one was doing it right and he was so far advanced ahead of the game that I, you know I wish I knew now you know what he knew and you know followed it a bit better um, he was different class to be fair and I didn't really get on with the fella at all for the first three months um, and yeah, he was. But he he opened my eyes a bit, you know, because he'd been into Barcelona, he'd been to AC Milan, he'd been to Lazio, you know, like just watching what they did. Yeah, yeah. And he brought it over the forest. Like we used to eat breakfast, which was unheard of back then. We used to eat all eat breakfast together uh, at eight thirty in the morning, and you know, normally we didn't used to get into half nine, quarter ten, get changed and go training. Yeah. But he had us in at half eight and eating properly and. Food at lunch was, you know, proper food. What we should be eating. And he was ten years ahead of the game, Platy, at that time. Believe it or not. Mm. Well, he's coaching. I don't even know where he's coaching. I know he's at uh, Man City for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, but I think, forgive me for all, I think he's, he's a coach in India at the moment. Um, do, do you think he'd do well as a coach in the UK or maybe even in America, where a lot of British coaches? I, 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 I can honestly say his, tra- his training was the best I've ever come across. Okay. Everything was short, sharp, explosive, you know, and always always left you wanting to carry on and do that little bit more, you know, which for me is a sign of a good coach. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, we felt that if he'd stayed that next season, because he had he had a difficult, you know, a difficult time at first, and we felt when he left, he, we just felt like we were getting to, you know, we had the right players, we were just getting... To believe in everything what he was doing, and I think he just stayed. I think you know we'd have had the right goal that season from where it meant to be. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you were coming to the end of your contract for us, and I, I, as far as I'm aware, you were willing to take a pay cut to stay. Um, yeah, I think was it Dave Bassett uh, who took you at Leicester at the time. Yeah, it was yeah Dave Bassett. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd suffered a bad cruciate ligament injury um, under Dave Platt towards the end. And I got rushed back too quick. I've, I've come back after five months and played. And to be fair, when Paul Art, my knee was never right. When Paul Art took over, he pulled me and just said, I'm taking you out of the equation for two months to get your leg right. And he was different class, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was coming to the end of the contract and, you know, the club was making major, major cutbacks and I was probably the biggest earner at the club at the time. Um, and I said, you know, I was happy to take, you know, a huge pay cut, but... You know, they just couldn't afford to keep me on, on board. And then Dave Bassett phoned, and I'd worked for Harry before Forrest, and, you know, I love the fellow, he's different class. So, uh, kind of reluctantly went to, to Leicester, if you like. Mm. Well, I believe you were playing quite well at the time, and then new, um, Mickey Adams came in, who you'll be working with at Sligo. Um, and from what I understand, he was advised by the board to play Ben Thatcher over you because he was on bigger money. Is that, is that right? That's correct, yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, we just, we, it was the season we got, I signed for Leicester when they were in the Premier League, yeah, we had about 12 games to go, the, Leicester got relegated, we got promoted again the season after, under uh, Mickey Adams, and I, I actually was playing the best football in my career for Leicester back in the Premier League, but um, yeah, he was under a bit of pressure from the board to play, Ben Patrick was actually playing left centre-half and I was playing left-back, and uh 
you know, from what I believe he was under a bit of pressure to play Thatcher, so uh, that was the end of that one. Okay. Well, as you said, you, that was the end of that, and you were offered the opportunity to rejoin Nottingham Forest or West Brom. Now, you turned yeah. down West Brom on the advice of some friends in the game who didn't have many positive things to say about then-manager Gary Megson. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is it true that your agent actually told Megson you didn't want to play for him because yeah. of what you'd heard? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's unbelievable, really. I think my agent was Phil Smith, and he said, look, you can go to where and I went, no. I said, I've got a mate there who said, he's a, you know, he, he, my mate couldn't stand him. He said, you won't get on with him. So I just said to the agent, just, I said, I'm not going to cancel West Brom. I said, just saw Forrest out. Get the Forrest deal. I want to go back there. And um, I was actually in the car and he just phoned <laughs> me, just look, he's heard a few bad things about you. He doesn't want to go and play for you. Oh, no. <laughs> so, you know, and you don't think that's going to, you don't think nothing's going to come of that, but it did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, that's the segue to uh, the next bit where, you know, Megson takes charge of Forrest in 2005. And, um, yeah, your relationship must have been a, a little strained, to say the least. But it was, I mean, the first day of training, we we walked down the training ground of Forest, and he got all of the players there and he shook everyone's hand and he just, he shook my hand and said, I'm going to ruin your career. That was his first word to me. Mm, wonderful. And I just went, OK, we'll see them. So that was on the downward spiral from the off. So when he said that he was going to ruin your career, how how do you think he tried to do that? Um, it just, just, I mean, it, it's... He's the most paranoid man I've ever come across in my life, Gary Megson. I mean, for someone who's been around football a lot, I, and to be pretty honest with you, I think Forrest was too big. It was too big for him when he was a player, and it was too big for him as a manager. I don't mm. think he could ever grasp the size of Forrest. Um, he just he was completely and utterly paranoid all the time around the club. If lads, if somebody, you know, even if we were walking and someone would be laughing, you know, 15 yards away, he'd be staring over and asking them what are they laughing at? It was, it was, I've never come across anything like it in my, in my career. He's a very, very paranoid man. And then um, we went out We went out one night for a few days on a Monday, all of the squads. Um, and he he got he, he phoned his mates from the Daily Mirror and got us put on the Daily Mirror and everything. He said that we were up to all that. You know, just a load of rubbish. The bar, we went out to Peter Express, had the Peter and we had a few beers and that, but that was basically it. And he put us in the paper saying we're out, we're partying, we're doing it. It was absolutely embarrassing. Wow. And he made rumours up that, you know. It's quite funny, really, because I got put on gardening leave and I'm still in the house where I lived down in Olmskirk. And uh, I was put on gardening leave. I weren't, and weren't allowed anywhere near the, the training ground. And he put on the, the local paper that I was giving the team away to opposition managers. <laughs> Honestly, and to this day, it still tickles me. But you know, one, I've never done that. Two, I didn't know the team. And three, I, I went near the training ground, <laughs> and I didn't have any opposition managers' phone numbers to call them. Blimey, blimey! Well, we, as as you saw on Twitter earlier on today, there's a, quite a few Forest fans are asking about um, you know Gary Megson and, and everything like that. And uh, yeah. yeah, I find it absolutely astounding that a manager would treat a player like that for. For what reason? Because you decided to go to the club that yeah. you were very much fair, comfortable it, with? Or? To be fair, it wasn't just me. There was five or six of us. Mm. I mean, we could, you could go on all day about some of the stuff he'd done. Um, we, weren't allowed to, we weren't allowed to get changed in the changing room. We actually did... Uh, at the time, we were building the academy, for, uh, not for, for us, the academy now. What's, what's there now? They were actually building that at the time when I was there. And... There was me, Dave Johnson, Paul Evans, um, the goalkeeper, Paul, oh, I can't think of his name. Dick Everton keeper, Paul Gerald. Paul Gerald, right. 
uh, and Marlon King, and we weren't allowed to even park our cars at the at the ground. We used to have to go to the, and we actually believe not, we used to get changed in a container base. Wow! With one shower, that's where we used to get changed. Wow! I actually went to come to watch a home game, and the steward who I've known for seven or eight years was a good friend. And he actually got, I got told to tear me away from the car park, and I never caused any problem because I knew. Him. But Megson stopped me coming to watch home games. I was banned from the ground and everything. Incredible. Did, did yeah. you at any point speak to the, the PFA about anything like this? No, when I was, you know, it just it, it, it was what it was. Right. Um, you know, one thing I did say to him, I said, "You'll go before I do," which he did in the end. But <laughs> um, unfortunately, you know, it kind of it, it, it stopped really because it ruined my career and it ruined this career. Right. Well, you got three. England on 21 cap somewhere. Um, yeah. What was it like representing your country? Yeah, it was brilliant. You know, um, it was always an ambition of mine. You know, at the stage, you know, even I spoke, actually spoke to Dave Bassett about three weeks ago, and he always he always goes on. You know, said you should have made more of your career, should have played for England, but we had some good left backs at the time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we had Graham so he was there. You know, we had Ashley Cole. He was emerging. He was you know well to be an unbelievable player. Um, it was a position what was littered with fullbacks. I played. I, I got I was in the England B squad at QPR when Matt Letizia scored a hat trick against Russia. I was on the bench for that game. Um, so yeah, you know I got close. I, you know, but maybe I should have done more weekly. You never know. Mm. Well, it's, it's funny you say that because we spoke to David Barsley a few weeks ago, and he's you know, the ex QPR right back, yeah, and he yeah. had a similar situation as you, where when he was vying for a place at England for England right back. Yeah, players yeah. like Earl Barrett, Lee Dixon, Paul yeah. Parker, Gary Stevens, and you, as you mentioned, yeah, Ashley Carmen, even Wayne Bridge, who I believe was in contention back then as well. Wayne Bridge, so you, about you, the you, lab ball. That's right, uh, Everton, ball. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, so me, me and him were both vying for the under twenty-one slot. Yeah, there, you know, there was <laughs> we were strong in the full-back area, both to the left and right back. Yeah, so I guess timing wasn't on your side. I guess. No, no, I didn't have to say. When I was at my absolute peak as well, that's when I done my cruise I felt if I didn't yeah. suffer that injury, I, I would have played for England, I believe. Yeah, true. Very true. Well, you had the uh, spells at Hull, Wigan and Accrington Stanley, but then you actually ended up back at Tranmere as a coach and then caretaker manager. Now, you've done your UEFA A licence course. Yep. Um, how difficult has it been to make the transition from, from player to coach? Because you do see a lot of coaches finding it a little bit difficult. I mean, obviously you've got your Guardiolas and... You know, all these other managers have been successful, but then great players like Viali have struggled to, to make yeah. that transition. What's it, what's it been like for yourself? I've enjoyed it, to be fair. I mean, I, I, I took the Tramier tramier under 12 role last July. So, you know, I've made, you know, the transition what I've made from an under 12 coach to, you know, I was the caretaker manager at Tramier at the end of the season. Um, I've really enjoyed it, you know, and I've just had to say, you've got the opportunity to get back into the game with Sliver, which you can't wait. I'm flying over there tomorrow, but I've really, really enjoyed it and something I really want to get my teeth into. And Mickey Adams has been unbelievable with me. Um, you know, he gave me the opportunity to come in and help out the Tramie, which is an unbelievably difficult job. Um, and, you know, I can't wait to work with him again at Sligo. Brilliant. Well, apart from, you know, obviously your new role at Sligo, what, what um, future goals have you got? Yeah, you know, I want to learn under Mickey Adams. You know, Mickey Adams is... A, He's an underrated manager, you know. We're talking when he was at Leicester City, he was the most um, talked about coach. He was the next big thing as a manager. Um, mm-hmm. We had a team for the ways at Leicester when he had that Lamanga thing, but you know, he's. I think he's only behind Neil Warnock and Dave Bass for the most promotions. Um, 
he's top draw, he's everything's thorough and you know what, I'm loving that, you know, I can't wait to join up with him again tomorrow and continue learning from him and you know, Fantastic. one day I want to be a manager, you know, want to learn from him for the next whatever I, I can do and become a manager in my own right, outright in the near, near future. Brilliant. Well, actually, another question, did you actually own a nightclub, is that right? Yeah, I own several nightclubs in Liverpool, yeah. <laughs> how, how did that go? <laughs> it was brilliant, yeah. I built, you know, I built the, the biggest nightclub that Liverpool's seen in the last 20 years. Wow. Um, we built that from scratch. It was unbelievably successful. So, yeah, it, it, I, I'm out of that game now. It's not a pleasant game to be in, to mm. be honest with you. Because mm. I know there's a, obviously you've got players like um, Steve McManaman and Robbie Fowler invested in property. So I thought, you know, a nightclub might have been your, your, your spit on the side kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, you know, I've got a bit, a bit of property as well, like, but, you know, the nightclubs, I've actually, I owned about seven or eight pubs and bars and clubs and, okay. night, you know, several nightclubs and it's hard work. It's imagine. really difficult work and the, the hours are horrible. can imagine. Well, a um, couple more quick questions and I'll let you go, um, Alan. Um, if you were head of FIFA and you could change one law, what would it be? Um, Put on the spot there. <laughs> yeah, no, to be honest with you, the, the thing what the bugbear of it me is this under twenty ones. Right. Um I watched I must have watched sixty under twenty one games last season and I just I'm still trying to fathom out what benefit it has, especially to the to the English game. Because you're playing against there's kids playing against kids and it's like kind of non contact and you have the ball and you know, when I was, I think, and it made me a better player. When I was the 16, 17 years of age, playing against Liverpool reserves, I was playing against, you know, people who were on the bench for Liverpool on the Saturday who never got on. Mm-hmm. You know, then going back then, I remember Mark Kennedy and there was Fowlers and, you know, when they were coming through, they were playing in Liverpool reserves. And I just feel the only way you're going to get better is by playing against these players, you know, the kind of, you know, Mark Kennedy was a big signing for Liverpool, two point five million or something we paid for him. And the game what we suddenly come over to Tramier Rovers and I was in the reserves and we beat Liverpool, I think it was one 0 the game. Liverpool were littered with internationals. And it made me step my game up and I was playing against unbelievable talents and I just think these under twenty one leagues, they should be they should be full reserve leagues where big players are playing minutes against these kids to help their development get on. Right, right. Because when you, you see clubs like Chelsea who tend to loan out, you know, seven, eight, nine players, if not more than that, uh, yeah. abroad or even to the lower league sites. So we saw a Bamford at, at Middlesbrough last season. Is yeah. that something that you know you're you're an advocate of, or is that something you feel maybe players should stay within the, at the same club? Well, I think I think I'm right in saying Bamford. He was at Forest money. I'm okay. sure Chelsea bought him a forest. For, for me personally, I mean, you know, my lads, my lads are decent little player, and he's at he's at an academy at the minute. And for me, I'd rather, than, you know, is Bamford ever going to play for Chelsea's first team? No, mm. no. So I don't know why they don't stay at clubs like Forest, getting the first team, score goals, and earn a big move. Yeah, well, you're right. You know, Bamford, was... Bamford's twenty or whatever age he is. He's had about seven clubs on loan. That's right, yeah. You know, I mean, he would have been better off staying at Forest. He's only signed, I think, for Chelsea two or three years ago. If he'd have stayed at Forest, you know, Forest would have had a hell of a player on the hand. He'd have been scoring goals, playing every week in, week out. You never know what it becomes, but, you know, as I say, these big clubs just try and get all of the best talent and, you know, can you ever see anyone from Man City coming through the academy? Mm-hmm. 
Fair point. I don't think it lacking. Fair point. Well, look, you're right about Bamford. He actually started his career at Forest, 2001. Yeah, I think he paid a couple of million pounds for him from, um, from Forest, Chelsea. Mm. So, you know, maybe Bamford would have been better off staying at Forest, laying in the game, playing games, scoring goals. You know, and then if he's yeah. good enough in when he's 24, 25 to play for Chelsea, but then Forrest got a huge sum of money and he, he goes and plays for Chelsea. Yeah. I mean, I seem to remember players like Genus and Andy Reid leaving Forrest to yeah. go to, to Tot- was it Tottenham and Newcastle at the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as, as you said, you know, perhaps it would have been better for these players to, to stay where they were and yeah. uh, develop themselves and... Um, yeah. And obviously, better themselves elsewhere, kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah. You know, it's like me at Tramia. I could have went to San to Liverpool when I was, you know, 16, 17. I stayed at Tramia, played 60 games, got sold for £2 million pounds to Forest. Mm. You know, develop, de- developing, like, you know, with a smaller club, and then if you're good enough, you're going you're gonna to get you're gonna get bored anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I've got two more questions. Yep. Um, Marco, our friend in Brazil, has asked, what's the biggest pitfall? An up and coming player faces in today's moneyball game. I'm not too sure. I mean, you, you, I understand what he's saying about you know the moneyball side of thing. Where you play people are just sign and play. I mean, that, I think that that that's what we've just spoke about. If you like, mm-hmm. I think the big clubs are so desperate to try and find the next big thing that they just you know what's a couple of million pounds to Liverpool, Man City, Chelsea? It's nothing. Yeah. yeah. You know, so they can go and spend two million pounds on a kid who's going to be the next layer. You know, Messi. And if he doesn't turn out to be that way, it's only two million pounds. Mm. That's right. I mean, I know West Brom are thinking of actually closing their academy because they spent a few million pounds on on building it and you know developing players and this and that. And then you got players that such as I don't know um, Sinclair who went yeah. to Liverpool was it a year ago, a year and a half yeah. ago, and yeah. they only got like fifty, sixty grand in compensation. They're, they're saying, well, you know, we spent X amount of money to develop these players, and we lose them before they're twenty one, twenty years old, yeah. and we only get X amount of money just compensation. When in five years' time, they could be getting fifteen, twenty million. So I can kind of understand why clubs are I totally f- better. Yeah. And I'll, I'll point the finger at the, the, uh, the FA, sorry, and the Premier League for that because. We've had a situation when I was at Tramier in the academy. We had a situation where they had a very, very talented under fourteen goalkeeper, you know, who everyone was raving about, and Everton wanted to sign him. Now Tramier, he'd been at Tramier. I think it was four years of being at Tramier. So Tramier's developed this keeper, and he's going to be the top keeper by all accounts. Right. And Everton just knocked on the door and said, "We want to sign him." And all they have to do is give five thousand pounds a year compensation. Wow. He's been there, so it cost. Everton twenty grand to take a player off Tramia and what Tramia could do nothing about for twenty thousand pounds. Now that player might have went on and played for Tramia and got sold for a million pounds in five years' time. So I, I I just don't understand how these smaller clubs are ever going to get quality players through the academy to sell on for a profit later on, which they need to survive. When you've got big clubs, you just Take that kid for twenty thousand pounds. If he doesn't wait for them, they just get rid of him. Absolutely. So I, guess I, I can understand what West Brom saying. It's probably similar. Jerome Sinclair might have been with West Brom for ten years. They only have to pay fifty grand to get him out. Yeah. What's the point in doing that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think hopefully when you go to to Sligo, you might um, unearth some talent and and keep them under lock and key, so to speak. You know. <laughs> Hope so. Difficult. And um, on a final note, your mate Kevin Gallen, I'm sure you saw this one on Twitter earlier, he says, can you, get, can you get faster in an SSG? Players think they can fitness coaches saying no. <laughs> yeah, no. It, it's a bit of a private... 
<laughs> we were on our UEFA course, um, UEFA A, with Jack Lester and Kev Gallen, and we were on. We were doing lectures because it was the fast track. We were doing two lectures a day, and each lecture was like four hours. So you know, at the end of the, the lecture, you know, you just want to get out of the room and go and have a bite to eat or something. And Jack Lester kept piping up with questions <laughs> at the end of the lecture, so we were ready to kill Jack Lester. And that's one of the questions he asked at the end of the lecture. <laughs> Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, Alan, look, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, mate. Um, hopefully you can come back on in the near future if you're not too busy with, with the yeah, club. Yeah, anytime, Pop. You can anytime. Tell, tell us about your experiences out there and, and, and with, with Mickey Adams. So, yeah, look, really appreciate your time. Good luck with everything that you're doing at the moment. And, um, hey, we'll hopefully, like I said, we'll hopefully we'll have you back soon. Brilliant. Take care. Thanks Appreciate a lot. It. Cheers, Alan. Thank Bye you very much. Bye. So that was Alan Rogers. Hope you enjoyed the interview. That's it from us. We'll be back sooner than you think. See ya.